Hello. Just for the heck of it, since there's not so many people yet, will you turn some of your microphones on and say something like Vera Franco and Sophia Magdalena? Where the heck are you guys that you have grass behind your head? <laughs> Buenos dias. We are in Mexico. In the Yucatan province with Nicole, who's not here, but she's Nicole, Michelle, Nicole, <laughs> Michelle. Michelle. We are here with Michelle, not Nicole. Nicole is coming. Yes, but she's Michelle's over there coming to say hello. It seems hello, like there's everybody. a lot going on. <laughs> Come to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. I wish. It's yeah. a hot spot. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody else, we have, we still have a couple minutes before our first five minutes are up. Well, uh, I'm Ray and I'm from uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. <laughs> Hello, Ray. Welcome. Thank you. Anybody Hello. whose name rhymes with Ray should say something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I do not get any idea what I can do, what I can make out of it. But my name is Benedict and I'm from Berlin. Hello. Hello, Benedict. Welcome. I'm going to start the uh, Central America battle. We're down in Costa Rica, so we're a new breeding ground. Michelle, Vera, and Sophia, we're going to start this uh, PM Central America battle. Not battle, no. dance. Dance. Dance, flow, co-creation, co-creation. We just came out of a dance space, so we are on it. Dance battle. <laughs> Battle. I heard door. Not battle. I don't want to battle. Me either. We will have a, a great. Sounds like a great possibility. A geographic box battle. <laughs> Divyam Shu. Hello, Divyam Shu. I'm fine. Thank you. Nice to meet again. <laughs> I hardly see like Martina. She's so far away in Ravensburg. And also seeing again Benedict and Dor, of course, people from the last, and Vera and uh, Sophie Magdalena. Yeah, so many people are around. Nice. I was off for a couple of weeks, but now I'm on again. Looking forward. Super, welcome. Thank you. Phyllis, are you the only representative of the United States of America? No. Uh, Janet, okay, Janet. <laughs> and Calista. <How's> <laughs> and Mark. Oh, uh, yeah, Mark. 
And Shannon. And Mark. And Shannon. All right. Any news for us? Because we're we're sort of watching as the Titanic is sinking. And could you have any news for us? And it's it's it needs to sink. I'm glad it's Monday, a new week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today will be an exciting day about that. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Well, they're moving to either impeach or get Pence, the vice president, to remove him from office because he's unfit to lead Trump. Mm -hmm. Okay, then. <clears throat> a lot of sadness and anger in this country right now. Yes. Sometimes I think it's hard to imagine from the American side how much compassion or sadness and anger, for example, there is from almost everywhere in the world for what's going on there. It's really, it is not just a local yeah. experience. It's, it's really a, an impact on, it's a global impact and there's so much concern, real concern. And uh, it's, it's like people's hearts go out. I don't know if you guys can feel this, but there's People love America out there. They really want it to win. They want it to succeed. And when it's when it's going, you know, it's looking like worse than a third world country, you know, it's like, then what do people have to look towards? You know, we're losing a, a hero or we're losing a role model or something like that. It's, it's painful, it's really shocking. So just, you have to please, please let it in that there's these, concerns from everywhere everywhere out here that I've been the people are you know ask about it and they care about it yeah I I saw a picture of the Statue of Liberty with her hands over her face in sadness mm. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> so thank you for a lot of you just kind of making this leap over to Telegram. I didn't know how that was going to work, but it's worked really well. So thank you for that. And I'm, I feel glad about our teamwork with that. So Thank you, because the conversations we've been having on the WhatsApp platform are so fabulous and so important. And um, I just hope I just hope we can keep the space. It's like you have to hold the space and shift it to a different location. So I think I think you guys are doing it, doing it really well. Thank you for that. And before I forget, I just wanted to say that anybody who, any of you who are working on a, a writing project or some kind of project like that, I've been working on this website for the last couple of days called The Muse, and I'm just sending it right now. But it, 
I still have two experiments that I didn't finish yet. I'll get them hopefully tomorrow. But it's a, I think it's a really fun and important resource or set of experiments to do for the kind of work that we're doing together. And so I invite you to check it out. And Chloe's getting together. And Chloe, do you want to say about that, about a little newsletter that talks about the latest websites? Yes. Let's see when I get around to it. But it's been asked for to have a, a sort of a regular news where the latest websites that have been worked on or the latest uh, experiments. Um, and especially, I think, because the latest websites are not so linked in into the old ones because we didn't have the link of the latest one. So we're, we're working on kind of creating this web and probably this week, I'll send out a, a little news through the, if you um, subscribe to the general memetics newsletter, you'll get it. And if you don't want to get it, you just unsubscribe and, and we'll still love you. And Chloe? Yeah. There's a note from Jeff just about if we ever got the recording of the embodiment conference talk. Do you know about if we did? I don't know. Yeah, not from the top okay. of my head. All right. Because, yeah. All right, Jeff, we'll talk with you about that later. It'd be great to get that up on Next Culture Radio if we can get it. All right. Hello, Felix. I see you. We're ready to start. For in the book, we're on page, on my book, we're on page 112. And a couple of times ago, we basically spent the entire meeting on, on one paragraph or one sentence. And I wanna read that sentence again and then move ahead in the book. But I still wanna read that one sentence again. And it, the sentence was on page 112, before the anti-up section, it said, the process of establishing reciprocity with responsibility includes both internal and external changes. New parts of the box get born, a few parts get ejected, and some parts get re-engineered. So let's see, I'm just gonna keep going. Entering responsibility could be likened to being swallowed whole by a giant and proceeding through his digestive system with no way out till the stinking end, at which time you will have become useful to something greater than yourself. And I'm not sure if we talked about the corridor of madness before. Did we talk about that? The corridor of madness? I don't think so. Yeah, it's a, it's a secret term for the process of becoming adult. It's a transformational process of becoming adult. You enter the process at the beginning and you I probably each of you can remember when you first discovered that modern culture has an edge. At that point, you start, you either, you got this big choice. Either you go back and order a, 
you know, three fingers of vodka and keep letting your gremlin laugh at the bar, or you take it seriously and keep going. You actually navigate through the liquid state and go to the next chamber or the next space. And as, as soon as you start the process like that, there needs to be a big warning sign. And the warning sign is essentially it's abandon all hope, all ye who enter here. Because the part of us that has hope is the part of us that wants things to be comfortable or nice or familiar or to stay the same. That's the part that has hope. And so the, the process of the evolution of consciousness that's actually happening as we're going through the book and moving from the ordinary to the extraordinary to the archetypal domains, you enter this corridor. Corridor is like a cave. And in the corridor, it essentially, it has a beginning. And then way down there somewhere, some kind of a theoretical end. And in the, the word, the thing that I've heard basically is that Sometimes I draw a picture of three men falling into a bottomless pit. Has anybody seen that? When I draw that diagram, three men falling into a bottomless pit. Okay. It's basic, yeah, it's basically, yeah, I think most of you have seen it. So it's the same thing. It's that you start off at the beginning and you, and you really should have it in mind to keep going. So scraping your fingers along the wall when you're falling into a bottomless pit is not going to do anything but give you very short fingernails. So, so the point is if you can go, it will feel at time from time to time like you're going pretty crazy on this journey. And I think those times after the first couple of times that I that I had that experience, I I could name it. I could go, well, this is a bardo space, or this is a dark night of the soul, or this is the corridor of madness. And I could not quite enjoy it, but I could surrender to it. I could at least stop swimming back upstream. So just kind of float down the river or flow with the river rather than trying to fight it. I think you all know what I'm talking about. And so and so that's what this means. So when you get swallowed by a giant, you proceed through his digestive system with no way out until the stinking end, at which time you have become useful to something greater than yourself. So you would think that when you come out of the giant's asshole, you're turned into a, a turd, a piece of shit. And that's true for the giant. So you've already served the giant. But the poop, you know, poop is precious stuff. It's the stuff that makes soil good. It's the stuff that's a home for worms and compost and it's so fertile. And, and so, so even in, uh, for example, if you look at a goldfish tank, you'll see that you put flakes and there's some fish that swim up to the top and eat the fish flakes that are floating at the top. And then there's ones, the fish that eat the flakes while they're floating halfway down the middle and then there's, then there's fish that basically don't eat the fish flakes at all. They wait for the other fish to eat the fish flakes and then they eat the poop from the fish that ate the fish flakes and that's their food. And so it's this, this hierarchy of spaces and hierarchy of beings. And 
you can participate. Like we are participating in it. Even right now, we're participating in that by focusing our attention, holding space together, being in this group together, etc. We're building matrix and producing substances on the side that are feeding things both more conscious than us and less conscious than us in different ways. And so that's what this whole thing about the giant was intended to mean. So being digested by a new relationship to responsibility occurs over time and through your efforts. So again, we're just entering the extraordinary part of the book. We left behind the ordinary part, we're entering the extraordinary part, and we're establishing a new relationship to responsibility through efforts and that takes time. The efforts involve both starting new behaviors and diverting yourself from repeating other behaviors. And there's a big hint right there. And the hint is that uh, instead of trying, whenever you discover a behavior that, that you wanna change, we, one of our strategies is to try to stop doing the old behavior. And instead of that, what's recommended here is to instead divert yourself and start another behavior and, 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 and focus on starting the new behavior rather than stopping the old behavior. And if you do that, you'll, you'll get to keep moving, you'll conserve energy. And because instead of running your head against uh, a strong habit, you develop a new habit and the old habit will fade out over time. And most of you are aware of this too. So many experiments for developing responsibility muscles will be outlined in this book. For starters, begin tracking the little ways that you habitually avoid responsibility. In your day-to-day -day life, for example, at the office, on the street, at home with the family, at parties, in private, wherever you go, whatever you do, simply notice the details of how you avoid responsibility. So a lot of this starts out to doing with, with our attention. Can we notice, can we pay attention to the ways that we are subtly avoiding responsibility? So how are you trying to get away with things? Who do you specifically not listen to, for example? Because if you listened to them, you would somehow have more responsibility. Or what do you avoid noticing? <clears throat> we have this filter over our whole perception system <clears throat> and the filter lets us see what the box wants to see and what the gremlin wants to see and it avoids us seeing other things. So this is also a way of avoiding responsibility. Again, I wanna say responsibility is consciousness in action and so in relationship when we're avoiding becoming aware of something we're, we're you know when we're blocking our ability to be responsible for it and take action with it where do you make little messes without any considerations about cleaning them up how do you avoid seeing the long-range picture how do you numb yourself to feeling the consequences of what you do or don't do where do you leave responsibilities to some, someone else unknown to you? Start keeping an irresponsibility journal. That's what the, and this experiment is. 
in your beat book, just write your responsibility journal and just start, you know, it's not a pretty sight. It isn't pretty, it isn't, uh, you don't congratulate yourself every time you discover a new way that you've been avoiding responsibility. But you could, you could congratulate yourself. You could, you could be the Sherlock Holmes of detecting irresponsibility in yourself. And you know, Sherlock Holmes, every time he solves a case, that guy celebrates. So you could do that. List whatever you discover. The exercise is not to blame yourself, but rather is meant to encourage you to be accountable and to discover how responsibility is avoided, how you do it, how it is done. There's a, a friend of mine, Gilles Farsay, who wrote the Unenlightenment Handbook because it was all the ways to be, stay unenlightened. And it, was, it became an immediate uh, bestseller in French. I think it's only in French. And so you could write a bestseller. It's like how to, it's like the irresponsibility handbook. And, and all, the, all the ways that people can avoid responsibility. The more precise your personal examples are, the more clearly you will grasp exactly how your box works. I mean, that's the point, it's called box mechanics. There's, there's so much to understand about, about the neurosis and insanity of what's possible when you have a consciousness that's disconnected from responsibility. There's, there's, and you, the further you go in establishing your nanomation, the further you go in creating your community, the further you go in holding space for the culture that you would love to live in, the more you will need to kind of protect yourself from the agencies that are working against that, the ones that want you to stay asleep as a zombie or whatever. So you'll need to learn to protect yourself. I mean, today it was, almost silly, but Anne Chloe and I were walking down, we took a little walk outside. She did not have her mask on and I had this intuition to put my mask on, even though I don't like it, I, I had it on. So a police car passed us up with the Spanish local police. And it's, it was in a small road. I mean, they were like this far away from us. And so, and so as soon as they passed us, I saw them put the brakes on and I, I I, I said, and Chloe, put your mask on immediately. So she dodges behind this van and puts her mask on. And so by the time the police car backed up and was out of the car, she had her mask on. And the guy was frustrated because, you know, he's a patrol car. He's like going around trying to capture people. And I don't know what he does with them, but he was frustrated because she had a mask on now, but he knew that she did not have one on before. And he says, where's your passport? You know, and so she said, it's in the house. And, and then he just said, well, keep your mask on like this, but whatever. This happens in big ways. It has to do with land ownership. It has to do with, uh, gosh, what's it called? Yeah, uh, 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 I don't have the word right now. It has to do with who, who, you are, who you are under the auspices of, who you are, it's like what the what title, 
which, what is the rule of law that you subscribe to? And, and to be able to stand in a place where you, where you realize you, you take responsibility for not standing in the rule of law of Western civilization. You're standing in a different, sort of basically a higher rule of law. And then you can speak clearly about it and defend it in, in, without having to fight anybody. You can see I, I, I subscribe to, I, fu I function under the auspices of a different rule of law and I can prove it. And so mm, I'm reading a book right now uh, called Sand Talk by Tyson Yunkaporta, Yunkaporta. And it's, he's, he's an Australian Aborigine and he spends a, like three pages describing how Aboriginal lawyers have taken apart the, le the legality of the law in Australia so that it does not apply to indigenous people there. And, but, the, but the connection between systems that he describes is, in, is infallible and it, it, includes, it includes how the trees that were cut or burned down change the weather that goes into the water that goes into the dam which with, when it does or does not go into the mud flats provides for certain moths that can grow in the mud flats that serve certain birds that come and eat the electrical wires. I mean, the whole thing was completely tied together and it was so obviously true. I mean, that's the way the world works. And to have a smaller perspective from that uh, and thinking that human law can out outpower or outmaneuver natural laws like this is just childish. It's just immature. It's just short-sighted. And yet that's what we're expected to sub, sub, subject ourselves to. So, so that's what this is about. When you can notice ways for avoiding responsibility, then you get the games that are going on. And then you can stand in your own center and your own authority which is what you need to do to reinvent your ability to be in relationship. It sounds like a big deal and it is a big deal, but at the same time, we're designed for this. We're really designed for this. And so the next part is anti up. This is the next section in the book. It says the most important ingredient in creating extraordinary human relationship is practice. You do not get practice by reading a book. Practice you get only when you practice. You can practice alone. You can practice in the company of others. You can practice in trainings, in workshops, in weekly meetings, in men's or women's groups, and in many other different circumstances. Intellectual understanding is valuable and interesting, of course, but regardless of what you understand, long-term changes occur only through consistent practice. We could have learned many of the skills related to creating extraordinary human relationship as children, but our culture, modern culture, did not provide these skills for us. If we want these skills now, it is within our power to search for them wherever they exist and start regularly practicing them ourselves. So that's why these experiments that 
we design in our weekly study group those. And when you actually do those experiments, it builds up this matrix in you for holding new awareness and new, new possibilities. So that's practice. So that's, so you can start regularly practicing themselves when we speak differently or process our thoughts and feelings differently the improved quality of our relationships will naturally radiate. Each responsible behavior improves our relationships over time. So I think, I think we still, I, I can feel it in myself and I bet you can too. There, there is this old, old map of responsibility where the responsibility, you know, I already have enough responsibilities, okay? I'm busy all day long. I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to handle all this stuff. I don't want more responsibilities. And this is a, this is the old thought map of responsibility. It's like a burden. It, I, I have to handle things. I mean, it's my fault if things don't work. I'm under pressure. I'm carrying this load. You know, I have to pay the prices, I have to pay the bills. And it would be stupid to take on more responsibility. This is the old thought map of responsibility. So we talked about this before. That's not the kind of responsibility we're talking about. I'm just saying it's deep in us because I could feel it. Just while I was saying that to you guys, I can feel when I'm talking to you guys, you, when you do your workshops and talks online, I'm sure you can feel it too. When something lands in people in the space, you can feel it land. And when there's resistance, you can feel the resistance. You need to pay attention to that because it's true. You know, even though we're spread all over the world, we're in this one space and we're connected. And the possibility of a different style of responsibility landing in us isn't there yet. Like we're trying to get into extraordinary domains we're trying to do that and we can feel we have some weight some baggage each of us has some resistance because we're busy we're we're sort of overwhelmed and so oddly enough or interesting enough right what's staring at me in the book right here is called the map of overwhelm the thought map of overwhelm and it's a little box and it says overwhelm is one of the box's favorite self-defense mechanisms you get that? Overwhelmed, feeling overwhelmed is one of the box's favorite self-defense self mechanisms. Step one of, of how to do overwhelm, take on too much. Step two, feel overwhelmed. Step three, stop practicing and experimenting. Step four, go back to normal. Voila, the box wins. Very clever, Mr. Box. So this that's what that's all about. So it's in a way, there's a practice that you can you can start working with. It's I call it spinning my energetic body. So we have these five bodies. We've talked about that before. You have an energetic body that's very close on to your physical body. If you can see the screen behind ray it's like a rainbow a circular rainbow like that and you could imagine that that's the kind of thing that's around you 
and you can you just start spinning that. You just spin it. I usually spin it this way, clockwise. When I look down, it's clockwise. So and it, it goes about this fast. It isn't very fast. You don't have to spin it very fast. If you spin it too fast, you just get dizzy or uncentered. But you can just spin your energetic body. And then when this pressure from, oh my God, this is too much, it's too much responsibility, it's too much work, it's too, I already have enough. You can feel that story start to come up. It's almost like it doesn't even come from you, it comes out. You spin your energetic body and the story slides right past you so that you can stay in a small now in the present and this whole overwhelmed thing just goes right by you. And you can keep breathing in the present, the overwhelmed thing goes by and you take, and you have to remember that last little sentence, very clever, Mr. Box, Mr. Gremlin, very clever, but I don't subscribe to the story that it's too much. I don't subscribe to that. And then, then the overwhelm goes right by you. So, so any questions about that? I just wanna make sure you guys kind of got that. Any questions about that? I have something to say about it. Go ahead. So, so I'm noticing this, particularly in the context of PM, because I'm on about, I don't know, eight, eight different calls for PM. And I agree to do things in each of those calls. And then it's like too much. It's just like, I, I don't even know, you know, I, it might, Either that or it's my box because I, I forget what I agreed to do. It's like in the moment, I'm, I'm really involved and a participant. And then I go on to the next call and, and I agree to do something else. And so it's, I don't, I'm not quite sure what, you know, except to get a better organizational system or to, to get on fewer calls. I'm not sure. I'm thinking of the comment that Sophia Magdalena and Vera said when they first came on, which was the, the difference between a battle and a dance. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried this experiment, but if you put on two different musics at the same time, you know, two different songs at the same time that have a different beat, you know, which song do you dance to? You know, it's horrible. I don't think. I don't know, has anybody ever done that? I mean, I haven't even done it. You, Christina, what was it like? Chaos. It's very, it's, it's very expanding the box because you tried the whole time to, to listen to just one beat and concentrate on it, but then you hear something else from the other song and it's, and you, I did it and I got so many impulses at the same time in my body that, that, I, I felt like I'm going crazy, like arms there, leg there. And, but it only works if you really use very contradicting music, mm -hmm. all classical and metal or something like this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and so, so the, the proposal would be just listen to one dance at a time, one kind of one music at a time. And so, 
I'm not sure, Phyllis, about the exact details that you're talking about, but the overwhelm might come from trying to listen to both at the same time. Like, oh my God, I should be doing that and I'm doing this. And so then you're trying to do both at the same time and then you just can't do either one actually. And so if there's a place inside of you or next to you where you can put the different things that you said you were going to do and then choose one and then do that for a while, do that for a day or an hour or whatever. And so that you get to choose what you dance to, what kind of music you dance to without trying to dance to more than one at the same time. It's another, it's another example of, of expanding your now because we can only do, or I can only do what I can do right now in front of me. So right, so my right side is a door. There's a, a door over here and it has a handle on it. So I don't know if you can see the handle, where is it? Yeah. So you, I, can't, I can't do anything with this door until it's locked. I mean, the door is shut, but if I, I can't go through the door until I'm at the door. I can't go through the door until I open the door. I can't open the door until I put my hand on the handle and move it. And then I can open the door. So this is, this is really physics. It's really like that. And you can use the same kind of an example in the things that you're talking about with having multiple possibilities. Because the, more, the better you get at possibility management, the more possibilities you're gonna have. In fact, one of the biggest possibilities you'll, you'll need to start exercising is the, the skill of killing possibilities. It's like you become so open and so accessible to new possibilities that you've got too many things to choose from. It's like too many, it's like you go to a, men, a restaurant and they hand you this menu about the size of the Encyclopedia Britannica. So you starve to death before you even get halfway through reading the menu. And so that's, this is what happens if you're a possibility manager. One of the skills you need to learn right up front is killing possibility. And it's just, <laughs> it's really because, and you have to be able to learn to feel sad. Sad and also scared or angry, but sad especially. That when you kill a possibility, you, you may never get it again. When you, when you say no or turn something off or fin, you know, wrap up a space, it, it, there's appropriate to feel sad and to grieve its loss, to let that possibility go. Somebody needs to write a song about let that possibility go, something like that. So I have to write a song about it. But there's a, and Chloe? I want to also offer a possibility for Phyllis about all those different calls and practices. And it's... Um, and it's you can choose one or two practices. And what I've noticed when I've done that is that even if I'm in all those groups is that there's a different listening and a different sort of purpose or space in each group. And so even if I choose only one practice from one of the group, my sharing about the insight or what I get from that practice will be different in each group. And, and, and I, I realize that doing a practice or, and then sharing in a group, it's a way of being connected with the group. And so I had also this thing of, well, I'm gonna take on all those practices so I will be connected with them through that. And so instead of taking all the practices, you can share 
out of one or two practice that you've picked, particularly what, what can that group listen or what is that space that like the insight will be different, will come out differently. And I found that much more deepening than, than widening. Could, and Chloe, could you just encapsulate that in sort of one sentence? Just choose, say it again. Yeah, choose one or two practice instead of eight, like for Phyllis and eight different calls. Mm -hmm. And then, but share the insight of those practices in all the different groups, because that's a way of being connected with the group. Uh, okay. Cool. Thank you. And I want to add something which um, I'm coming out of this space in which I'm at the moment really crashing with all the things I want to do and with the things I want to practice because I do so many things that I have no time or I cannot make any more time for me practicing. Anyway, I stopped practicing for myself and I'm really crashing with that at the moment. And one hint I want to bring in the space is to what helps me right now is to figure out which practices do I really want to do or which practices are coming from somebody else or from a space which I actually do not want to do. So what is it, can what I comes ask, from me and from others? Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Which I? I didn't get the question. Would you please? When you say ask. which practice do I want to do, which I is choosing? The, the adult state. And if I have things I said yes to, I don't want to do, it's probably most of the time my child state in my case. trying to be a good person, trying to do it, a good student thing. Mm -hmm. So that can help when, I per when, one of a, when one of us is choosing a practice or an experiment or to do something, it's the question, okay, which I is committing to that? Is it the child? Is it the gremlin? Is it the part of the box that's the good girl or good boy? You know, which part yeah. makes the promise? I mean, yes. you know, this, there's not much difference between possibility management and learning to play the violin in terms of when you first pick up the violin, it's a very strange object and it's delicate and it squeaks and there's breakable parts on it. And it's, you can't imagine hardly even making music with it rubbing the strings across the hair, the hair across the strings. And so you start and everything's weird about it. There's no even frets, you know, where you put your fingers, there isn't even little markers where you're supposed to put your fingers. You have to find it, you have to build it in your body where, where to put your fingers to make the right sounds. And so this is, a, this is just like possibility management. You have to God, look at maps and distinctions and processes and tools and possibility stone and where's your voice blaster and who's got your sort of clarity now where's your gremlin like all of this stuff it's like completely outrageous and and then then it comes like 
you mentioned, Sophia Magdalena, you mentioned the adult ego state. Well, okay, it is quite an achievement to, to be able to rest in a small now in your adult ego state for five minutes before some new thought comes in your head and you have to shoot it or you know, before somebody comes along and picks their nose and puts it under your table and you're hooked or like some, something happens like that. And so, so, but still that's only, that's kind of like being able to play the violin when you're reading music and, and, and play along with the music. You have to play the notes that are on the music. So, but there's a further stage in possibility management, just like there's a further stage with the violin. And it's when you become able to, when you become the violin, when the violin becomes you, when you're, when you're functioning in the domain of musical space, and you don't even distinguish between you and the violin. It's like the violin or the music plays you. It comes out of its own accord and it isn't even on paper. It doesn't have to be. And so, I mean, this is, this is the process that we're on. This is the corridor of madness. This is the, this is the path. And, and, and it doesn't happen in each, it doesn't happen in each skill all at the same time. So at the same time that you become skilled in one skill, you can be a baby in, a, in a just beginning a, a, new, a new skill. So you're both a baby and an adult and, an, and a possibility, a possibilitator. You know, all at the same, you have three, these multiple levels in every different kind of skill area. And so trying to do it right just collapses. Trying to do it, trying to have it balanced, work-life balance, have a work-life balance. For, you know, it just doesn't work like that. It's a dance. And so the, the dancing part of it has to do with, well, do you even like to dance? You might not even like to dance. You know, maybe your ankles hurt or you, you, you're afraid of stepping on somebody's toe or I don't know. You, you don't like wiggling certain parts of your body. I don't know. I mean, this whole thing of, of becoming functional, like, some, like becoming elegantly of service to, to your archetypal lineage demands getting off it with regards to doing it well or doing it perfectly or being being excellent in everything it's like you have to we you know we have to give it up at the same time we're working we're working for building skills we're trying to have conversations that are difficult or impossible or delicate or sensitive you know deep inner conversations to share how can you be intimate with somebody unless you can take apart your own barriers. How do you take apart your own barriers without fighting somebody or giving up or getting sick or collapsing? Like, how do you take your defenses down? How do you get present enough with somebody to say hello without killing them with expectations or assumptions or conclusions or projections? Or how do you do that? And so the it's this dance thing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we asked questions along the way. And, but I think that the idea is not really to get answers. Like we're not, we're not really gonna get answers here. We won't, we're getting to the place where answers are not gonna happen so much anymore. What we're gonna get is 
more questions, better questions, more distinctions, more possibilities. We're going to get options. We're going to get new things to choose from. So this is where we're going when we get into the extraordinary, extraordinary part, and it will continue even in the archetypal part. But I just want to say it's so clear we've left behind the ordinary and we're working into the extraordinary and that the game changes. So I'm, yeah. So thank you, Phyllis, for the question. Is there somebody else needing to say something right now? I have a question about what you mean by the reciprocity of responsibility. <laughs> the, the, the process of establishing reciprocity with responsibility. What does that mean, Clinton? We're designed, the, the universe is, is responsible. Do you get that? Like I said, I cannot open the door without being at the door. If I put a piece of litter on the ground, it's going to stay there until I pick it up or the wind blows it away or it decomposes. It's going to stay there. So the world works like that. If I make a promise and I do not keep my promise, there are consequences even if it's, a, it's an insinuated promise or a small promise. If I don't take a stand for myself, there's nobody taking a stand for me because nobody can take responsibility for myself. So this, the reciprocity is, it's, it's a mechanical relationship between me and the world of responsibility until I become responsibility. So when I move, something responsible moves. That's the, that's the reciprocity, the universe. So when I make a promise and I keep my promise and I make another promise and I keep that promise and I, and I say I will do something and I do it and I do it within the time and I do it with no mess that somebody else has to clean up, it establishes a one-to-one -one connection between my word in this case and what's going to happen until the point of like, Almost by saying it, it happens. And then there's this there's this equal and equal back and forth relationship between me and the world. And you're starting to enter the extraordinary and archetypal domains then. And if you do not have that, you don't have the coin of the realm. You will not function in the extraordinary worlds. It won't work. Does that help? Something like that? Yes. Thank you. Okay. And that uh, Ingrid said something like, this is extraordinarily hopeless. And I'm Ingrid, I don't know what you mean by that, but um, this is good news actually, because you have to start imagine what, what hope is. You know, hope is this fantasy world. Hope is this child's play. Hope is dreamland. Hope is a, like a drug induced coma. You know, it's like, thinking that something could possibly happen without having to pay for it or to cause it to happen or clean up the mess. It's like Santa Claus is real, this is hope. And so the world actually does not become less sweet when you don't have hope. And that's something to think about. If you, you know, let's say, excuse me. I was going to think of example about some woman who's with a, a guy for a long time who doesn't really understand what she wants or is talking about. And, and let's say 
you wanted that to change or you're hoping that that would change. And so, you know, in our imagination, we can imagine uh, like one of these, the, uh, the Cinderella and the Huntsman or the, or the kind of magical uh, fairy tale where something comes along and the, some casts a spell or breaks a spell and the man wakes up and becomes the thing that we fell in love with many decades ago. And it was just dormant because of this spell and all of a sudden everything becomes right again. Okay, it's easy for us to imagine something like that. I don't think it works that way though. I, you, you know, you can hope yourself to death in a way. And then, then you're a walking dead person because you live in this zone of hopefulness. And so becoming hopeless is, a, is an invitation. It's to find the places where you are thinking that hope is going to save the day and let the air out of the bubble, like let it shrink down. Like if you have this bubble zone between you and the world and it's hope, then, then you don't have a one-to-one -one, this correspondence. You don't have that the, the correlation to responsibility that we were just talking about because there's this buffer zone of hope. But if you puncture the, the balloon and let the hope fade out, and then all of a sudden this, you have this unbuffered connection with what's really going on, it may be at first shocking. It may be at first not what you wanted, but you're, you're on it then. When it moves, you move. When you move, it moves. And then you have this possibility, you have some leverage so that you can do experiments, so that you can cause new results by doing new actions. But if the hope is in there, you have this buffer zone and you might do actions and nothing changes out in the reality or something is out in reality, but you can't perceive it because you have this buffer zone going on. <clears throat> so that's the point of the hopelessness. So I saw you smiling, Grid, when, when we started talking about it. Were you, were you saying it as a joke or what were you saying? No, exactly like that. Uh, I love to try something and to lose my hope because this brings me to presence, to reality. And this, there I want to be. Ingrid, are you, do you have a group? Do you have a yes. possibility team? You're running yeah. a possibility team? Yeah. Yeah, great. Is it on the team up platform? Yes. Great, so anybody in the world could be in the hopeless possibility team. Great, yes? I invite okay. you, it's in French. <laughs> it's in French, oh my God, that's not fair. Oh well, okay, thank you, yeah, great. Anybody else, anything right now? <clears throat> See, I, I used to I used to do it like this. <clears throat> I used to go. Anybody else have anything about this right now? Okay, then. And let's establishing responsibility like that. I used to leave um, only the space of mind uh, to answer the question. So 
it's taken me years to be able to, first I would count 10 seconds, you know, and that, even that wasn't long enough. I really had to feel like we're, we're this organism and I really have to feel into how the organism, does anybody really need to say anything that's bubbling up from the third dimension in the left quadrangle? You know, and it takes 18 seconds for that thing to come out. So, okay. All right. See, Callista, I knew it. Callista, I knew it. I just want to say I appreciate hearing this today because I, until now, have hoped myself to death. Thank you. And I can go forward. Well, Callista, without, yes. without, if you stop blocking the feeling right there, can you just really let the feeling up and say what you're talking about? Can you just say what that is? It's mixed emotions of fear and sadness. Fear about? Fear about future. Making changes. Let this, this sounds out, all right? Like, don't don't make it so civilized. <sighs> What's the sadness about? Giving up fantasy world <laughs> and being in my in the real world. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Can you let this in? Can you let this in, Kalista? Yes, I will let it in. I let it in. Thank you. Ah, thank you. Callista wrote a poem that she shared with me this morning. <laughs> it's just entitled, Just a Half a Step. <laughs> just half a step. We have this brand new telegram platform that has hardly any humanity spewed out into it. So I think it would be a fantastic baptism of the telegram platform if you would like to share your half a step poem on there for us. That would be wonderful. <laughs> I feel joy. <laughs> yeah, just splash it out there. Yeah, thank you. All right, could everybody please take a deep breath? We're gonna keep going here. <clears throat> I'm reading from the book. Establishing 
responsible adult attitudes and actions in our repertoire of behaviors is like playing, is like paying the ante to get into a poker game. So the ante is what you pay up front before you even get your cards. You pay the money to play the game. You put it on the table. So that's what this is. It's like by establishing responsible adult attitudes and actions, that is what we pay up front. Otherwise we, cannot, we cannot even start to play the game. Of course, paying the ante does not guarantee that we will win. It just gets us into the game. But if you don't pay the ante, there's no chance at all of ever winning. And so the way to pay the antiships is to practice relating according to certain clear distinctions. The rest of this chapter is devoted to establishing those distinctions. It will present far more than you can reasonably be expected to absorb all at once. An individual can only manage to effectively advance one or two change initiatives at any one time. Otherwise, it is easy to feel overwhelmed and then to stop all efforts. If you stop all efforts, the box and gremlins win. You mean the ordinary wins. Overwhelm is one of the box's favorite self-defense mechanisms. Pace yourself. So that's the recommendation is just pace yourself one dance at a time. What this means will be different for each person. So what it means to pace yourself will be different for each person. Perhaps you can best pace yourself by first reading all the way through this chapter while making notes all over it about what most interests you, what's most resonant. And then you could go back to those items and start working with them. Or perhaps while reading, you will find one or two practices that inspire you to take immediate action. In that case, pacing yourself might mean to start experimenting with only those two or three things but on a regular basis until it becomes part of you and then you go on to the next things. Whatever your approach, make the decision now to take persistent baby steps. In terms of change, stable results are more likely to blossom through micro experiments repeatedly practiced over the long run with consistency rather than through dramatic but sporadic sudden big moves. Here we go. Section 6B, Adult Ego State. Voices in your head. The maps, clarifications, and experiments that follow are each aimed to get you into the adult ego state quote unquote, adult ego state. As we have previously noted, Dr. Eric Byrne labeled three ego states or boxes that we use throughout our days and our nights. The parent, the adult, and the child ego state. So 
since this book was written, we've discovered three more ego states. So another additional ego state is the gremlin ego state. So when you are in an ego state, yeah, thank you, Aunt Chloe. When you are in an ego state, you are identified with the ideas, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors of that character. So when you're in the gremlin ego state, you have the voice, the smile, the face, the jokes, the timing, the insults, the attitude of a gremlin, of the gremlin ego state. When you're in the parent ego state, it's the same. When you're in the child ego state, it's the same. Then there's a demon ego state. And I don't really want to talk about that right now, but at some point we'll talk about it. But it's um, there are these uh, energetic uh, knots or energetic configurations that can you can shift into the perspective that the only possible solution to your problem right now is to kill yourself. Or the only possible solution to your problem right now is to get so depressed that everybody has to take care of you, et cetera, et cetera. And these are usually demon ego states. The, like another one is the only possible solution to your problem right now is to hurt the people closest to you. Really just be bad to them and cause pain and outrage. And th this is usually, a, this is this ego, this is this uh, demon ego state. And the, the sixth ego state is the archetypal ego state. The we, and you can only get access to the archetypal ego state through the adult ego state. So the adult ego state turns out to be a doorway to a next ego state called the archetypal ego state. What is a baby step practice to exit the demon ego state? Uh, one of them is to read uh, Spark 135. Thank you, Anne Chloe. That's a beginning. That's a that's a good beginning. Um, and do the and do those experiments. That's a great beginning. Cool. Yay, team. <clears throat> so so from now on, we'll be relating to six ego states, not three. Okay. And we're standing, of course, on the shoulders of Dr. Eric Byrne because he identified what an ego state is, but it's insufficient to think there's just parent, adult, and child ego states because the rest of these are ego states also. Can, can I reading... add something to Mark? Yes, think go ahead. One, one practice that might be interestingly useful for, for you, Mark, and for other people is this making categories of your identities. Because I don't, I don't think what you're talking about, it doesn't say that it's only demon, but it, it's really useful to say, okay, um, I have an identity and that's their thought and that's their behavior and that's how they hurt other people. And the name is um, whatever the joker maybe, or, or e the evil man, or you find the name of that identity. And then there's another identity that is about hurting yourself, for example. And, and then you, you can uh, describe it, just find the characteristic, the voices, the, the vocabulary, the, the strategy, and to have sort of this map of the ecology in, inside of you and, and just to have this, okay, this is, I'm in this identity right now and I'm in this identity. And I would 
I would say it's not really about getting out of it. When you're in it, just be in it and, and just find out the characteristic and don't beat yourself up for being in that identity. Thank you. Yeah, once you have a catalog of identities, it's, there's a shift that can happen, which is that you're, you become the librarian. You become the projectionist. You know, the one, the one who's not actually sucked into the personality so much as the one who goes, oh yeah, here's the one who wants to play out now. Here's channel 17. And, and, and then you get options. You have another dimension. I, I also sent out a, a website called Parts, my, mystrikingly.com Parts, which is a fabulous uh, set of experiments and distinctions also about that kind of stuff. And Janet Trevino put up this book called Parts Psychology, which I, have, I don't know anything about, but she says it's great. Cool. All right. So, so I, let us review. Here we will explore the adult ego state. Let us review. When identified with the parent ego state in our mind, we hear either nurturing parent or critical parent voices that give affirming or denying opinions about ourself, about other people, or about what to do to survive in a situation like this with people like them. But our parent ego state voices are not our voice. These voices came from other people, perhaps from past authority figures like parents, teachers, relatives, TV commercials from corporations, religions, political uh, activists or po politicians, for example. They come, these voices can come from all kinds of external places. The voices were so important at that time that we made them normal for ourselves. And then when we left the company of the source of the voices, we maintained our sense of normal by keeping the voices going inside our own head. If you listen to those voices at all or grant any of those voices credibility in your life, you are giving your power away to the authority that was long ago imagined to exist behind those voices. To create extraordinary human relationship, you will need to take your power back from that authority and from those voices. You will need to have your own voice. Realizing that the praising or blaming parent ego state voices. So remember, even though when you have the voice going in your head that's going, I'm so cool, I'm the best, I'm better, I'm faster, I know more, I got this, they don't get it. All these voices are just as much bullshit as the ones that say, I'm not good enough, I'll never make it, they're better than me, I don't belong here, nobody loves me. They're all voices and they're all crap. It's just incredible. But real, so those appraising voices and the blaming voices are not your voice. Realizing that does not make the voices go away. The voices can persist senselessly for years, simply from the momentum of habit, like a broken CD player. 
mechanically repeating the same track over and over again without purpose. Quite boring, especially for anyone forced to listen to you repeat what, what you hear the voices say. <clears throat> so imagine the people around you having to listen to you say the same thing over that you said already. If you think those old voices are useful, think again. Voices do not make you good or bad, responsible or irresponsible. Voices cannot protect you or harm you. You cannot hide behind the voices. You cannot justify yourself with voices. You cannot blame the voices. Voices are completely irrelevant. It is what you do or do not do that matters. Results are stark, naked, and voiceless. The results do not lie. The comments, judgments, and opinions that come from the voices are not even yours. So you may as well get rid of the voices, but how? Dealing with voices becomes quite simple when you use your voice blaster. <laughs> this is a coordinated effort. We just blasted you with the voice blaster, the same exact moment. Our timing is impeccable. The voice, but you should check out, I'm gonna be working on this website soon, but there's still some good stuff on there. Voice blaster, they, meaning your parents or school teachers or the priests at the church or your father, your father's uncle or whatever, they, they never told you about your voice blaster. Every person is born with a voice blaster on their hip. Sometimes it slides around so it's actually behind your back because it's not so obvious at your side. <clears throat> so you can reach back there, pull out your voice blaster out of its holster and hold it in your hand. Now mine has always looked like this, but a lot of people have them, they look like this. And I think that's cooler than mine. But I tell you, every time I pull up my voice blaster, just like this, but some people have these cool ones, I don't know. I never saw one like this, but this might even be more cool. Anyway, <laughs> Jeff has a, like a M17 or whatever that is. <laughs> He's got a bazooka voice blaster. That's good, you're gonna need it. All right, it looks like your hand pretending to be a pistol, but it is actually your own personal voice blaster. Your voice blaster has always been there, ready for you to use. If you have never before used your voice blaster, it is probably because it had never occurred to you before to use it. It just never occurred to you. Okay, our lives can suck because we didn't work together with as a team and say, and one it occurs to somebody and not to somebody else and you share what occurs to you. This is the value of working in a circle because what may occur to one person can save the other person's life. That's what this is so great about. So you may have never used your voice blaster because it just never occurred to you. Expanding what is possible to occur to you is the business of this book. What you get here is the possibility that for the rest of your life, it could occur to you to use your voice blaster. 
The Voice Blaster Mark IV is an efficient modern weapon for vaporizing voices. The blaster holds an infinite number of charges, so you never run out of ammunition. And a blast from the Voice Blaster never misses its target. Here are your Voice Blaster operating instructions. Shoot first, ask questions later. Shoot quickly in the direction of the voice, which is never inside of your head. It's always flying around like some butterfly vampire thing that's coming up closer, <clears throat> you blow it away. So you shoot quickly in the direction of the voice and the hunter-seeker function of the blast always finds a target. Hunter-seeker, by the way, comes from Frank Herbert's incredible book, Dune, and in A.E. Van Vogt's the weapon shops of Isher, guns protect the, the carriers of the guns by jumping into their hands and shooting whenever there was danger. So these both of these books are on the book list, just in case you're wondering. Please take note that voices that seem to be in your head are actually not in your head. Voice, voices flutter around your head out there like a vampire bat fluttering about its victim before it strikes for blood. The instant you sense a voice coming, you whip out your voice blaster and you go and say what the voice is saying to you. <clears throat> it's important, we learned that after I wrote this, you say what the actual vampire is saying. So we're gonna practice this in just a second. So you say it and then you go bang. So, and then you blast that voice right out of the sky, just to be clear, let's see. There's more instructions. The voice either falls dead on the foot on the floor in front of you, or <clears throat> it flutters raggedly off, trying to come around for a second attack. Any voice that returns, bang! That's the only conversation to have with a voice. You just it, there's a voice coming, bang! It's not like uh, you know you discuss or something. You just shoot the thing dead again, bang! Bang! You blast away however many times it takes. That's all. Voice comes around a week later, bang! That's all. You don't even complain that it comes back. Sometimes voices present you with whiny little reasons why you should listen to them. They plead. They nag. They justify themselves. They pester you. They tell you to be nice and obey the voice of reason from your elders. They tell you civilized and careful. They tell you that life without those voices would be terrible. If you listen and try to argue or reason with any voice at all, then you are already hooked and they've got you. They've got you. The only conversation ever to have with a voice is bang. Quite simple. End of conversation. Game over. It may take a couple of months of repeated blasting before some of the more persistent voices decide they could probably get an easier blood-sucking meal with somebody else for whom it does not yet occur to use their voice blaster. So really, they will, they will eventually take off. Keep your voice blaster handy even when you are in bed, maybe even especially when you are in bed. You never know when you might be having sex with your partner and some little voice comes 
around saying, remember what happened last time? That's probably going to happen again this time. You will never make it. For sure, you have bad breath. You are a clumsy sex partner anyway. He or she is not really attracted to you. You're not beautiful enough. You're not sexy enough. You do not look like Brad Pitt. You are not bang, 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 bang. It took you long enough to remember your voice blaster. Man, shoot those voices, shoot those suckers quicker before they even get a chance to say anything. You are not a victim of your voices, just blast them, bang. Then blow off your smoking pistol, spin it around and drop it back into the holster. For the next time, welcome to the adult ego state. Welcome to the adult ego state. It will blow you away if you do this. I'm serious. Really, I was talking to a lady the other day from somewhere and she's, I don't know, 55 years old and she has spent her whole life listening to voices. She couldn't even talk hardly because there were so many voices criticizing her and blame, praising her and criticizing me and like all this stuff. So, so this is huge. And when, if you do this, if you actually do this, it will actually get quiet in there. It's unbelievable. I remember when this started happening to me, I was using my voice blast for two or three months. And then I, I just noticed it was far quieter in there. I was worried at first but it didn't get me to turn on the radio or the television, I'll tell you that. So the adult ego state speaks with your own authentic voice and may be completely neutral and silent in circumstances where the nurturing or critical parent voices are screaming their heads off. So in places where you would normally hear these, these voices like, you can't do that, this is bad. Oh God, oh my God, what's gonna happen now? <clears throat> you shoot all those voices and then this thing happens that used to trigger this on this cloud of vampire voices showing up in your head and nothing happens. And you, then you go to the hospital and say, I have to have a brain scan. I think I have a tumor or something because I don't hear voices anymore. But it's not that. The adult ego state is relatively quiet inside. Really, it is. Or how can how how else can you detect the subtle energetics, the, the psychic uh, exchanges that are available, the intuitive impulses that are coming from, from these bright principles and things. You need the silence to be in the adult ego state. In using your own adult voice, you have your own power back. Using your voice blaster is how to vanish pesky parent ego state voices and anchor yourself into your adult ego state. How many of you will do this? Keep your hands up. Uh, you know what? I have to take a screenshot of this. Come on, put your hands up. All right. I have to do another one because my hand wasn't up. Christine's putting two hands up. That's good. Okay, all right, I got gotcha. you. All right, thank you. All right, we're committed. Okay, you know, when the voices, when, they, when those things die, 
they turn into fertilizer in the earth. So the earth needs fertilizer. Jeff, go ahead. I'm having a hard time distinguishing between the voices and emotions. Uh, and I have this a hunch that they're, they're intimately linked and that shooting it dead is just gonna be like a phoenix mm -hmm. that will rise from the ashes. And I'd like to hear your comments or experiments on that, if you have any. Yes, thank you. The, it's actually the answer is gonna come in the next section which is childhood, is the child ego state. So, because the, you're, it's exactly true what you're saying. You don't, you don't wanna shoot emotions, you can't. You cannot shoot emotions. And sometimes emotions have stories. So really the difference is between voices and stories. That's, so try to start working on that. This is the distinction between, so a story always has the word is in it somehow. Mm. Yeah, but sort of voices oftentimes. So let's see, the purpose of a voice has to do that it comes from an external authority figure. Okay, it comes from a belief system, a should, a must, a have to, a you cannot, you know, this is not okay, it's not approved. It comes from an external authority figure. You have to do it this way by Mac computers. You know, this is an external voice. You know, these are like, believe in Allah, you know, vote Republican, buy Nestle chocolate. You know, all these things are voices in our head. Okay, right. They come from an external authority figure. Emotion, the stories that come from emotions have a different purpose. And the purpose is uh, usually a victim-y one. It's like a... Uh, it's a, it's a, as you might expect to come from a child. It's, it's hopeless, like uh, the purpose is you got to help me or it's too big for me or you're always hurting me or um, what, like doing a tantrum kind of thing, you can't make me or uh, I'm being left out, like kind of these, it has this childish purpose of trying to get attention or trying to control the adults. It's like a, it has a different, so there's a big difference between a, a simple voice, which doesn't have much life in it. And uh, also, and the stories that from the, from the child ego state have this whole other purpose. And Chloe just flashed up the reactivity website. And Jeff, you might want to, I don't know if you studied that, but that's really amazingly powerful in terms of where these things come from and how to tell the difference. And, and, um, and I'm just checking the time right now. It's a, I, would like, I would like to just kind of pause for a minute. We've been hitting this pretty hard and heavy. Does anybody, so when we, yeah. The childhood emotions are gateways to emotional healing processes. That's what emotions are, are for. The stories that go with the, each of those stories is a valuable gateway to an emotional healing process. A voice is not. A voice is an opinion or a, 
a command or an instruction or a power game, but the the stories, the voice of the story is a gateway. It has a it has a whole story a story behind it, a cause, a purpose. And you just it's really it's a precious doorway to go into to have an emotional healing process. And so I'm not sure in the last few weeks how many of you have been asking each other for the emotional healing processes, but I hope, yeah, great. Oh, great, Ingrid. Good, Shannon, thank you. Yeah, great, Nicole, great. Yeah, it's so important to keep doing those because when the emotions come up, it, it isn't about suppressing them or shooting them or trying to make them go away. These are valuable invitations. You are ready. When that emotion comes up, you are ready to go through the emotional healing process and it's part of your path. So, I don't, so Jeff, in terms of that, I don't know if you've, do you have one up right now? I'm just, I'm, um see that from what i understand and i've found success in is when someone has a should you know a should voice it's still an invitation in my in my view and in what i've attempted it's still an invitation to go back and and find out where that came from so we can change the story behind it and so that's why i'm i'm not feeling satisfied um or complete in this conversation yeah, but so listen if if it is one of these should voices like you should shave your beard you should earn more money you should wear a shirt you should whatever these things are if you go back to the source of it it will be somebody who has an opinion or a judgment or a criticism and it's their judgment it's not right or wrong or good or bad it's their opinion and it doesn't belong in your space. It's energy in your space. So by shooting the voice, you send the energy back to where it came from. You don't have to discuss it. There's no discussion needed. You know, they can have their own opinion. That energy just does not belong in your space. It belongs in their space. It's their energy and it doesn't belong in your, in your bubble. So if you're having that kind of should, should not conversation in your head, it just means somebody else's energy is in your space. We talked about this before. I think we started to. So Christine, go ahead. And if you follow it back and even further back, it can get lead to more and more trigger sentence and then you going into the demon ego state. Okay. And it can, it can pull you down in, into the swamp very quickly. So it's better just to shoot it because this is also in a discussion, in a, a discussion, but but on an energetical level. Mm. Okay, so you're talking to the thing behind your parents, or behind the church, or behind the government, whatever. Yes. That's what you're talking about. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so. It yeah so but and so I Jeff I'm trusting what you're saying you know in terms of. It, um, it is not so, it can be, you have to do work to distinguish between if it's just a voice you shoot or an invitation for an emotional healing process. And so my, my question for you, Jeff, is, it, is what, are you asking for support to do emotional healing processes? I, yeah, I mean, that's my commitment in, in this space and elsewhere is to, is to hold space for emotional healing processes, I'm, at, I'm trying to deepen my distinctions here and 
so I can navigate better navigate. And yeah, you know, this, this concept, when you, when you set, when, when you use the, the, the voice blaster, it's always, it's, it's always a really fun analogy, but then I think about, okay, if you shoot it, it's going to die, but then it, they always seem to come back. So we haven't really solved for the voice. We've just put it away for now so we can do what we need to do. But then I, my sense is that there's an opportunity to sort of write that, that voice down somewhere and then go, go back to it. Because even though it might take you down into the swamp, you, when you go down and hit rock bottom, you go, you go deeper and go really work to create a different result, not the same result over and over. Just, oh, I just, anytime it comes up, I just shoot it and it's gone, you know, it's not, and then it comes back again. So I'm, I, I'm more interested in finding ways to make it, you know, go away. It's interesting because I asked you a different question. I must have misinterpreted the question. I asked you if you have been asking for and getting support with your own emotional healing processes from people in this team. I have been using uh, my teammate who's here with me to do emotional healing processes. You mean Gisela? And Gisela, who is, has hopped off the call. Yeah. Um, just if you wanna do an experiment, I would encourage you to reach out to some of these people because they're, they would add a, a different foundation for that work for you. And it, it would be just, I would just suggest it. Thank you, I will. Cool. Did you have one now that you wanted to arrange for? Not right now. Okay. It's just so easy on the call to ask and then you get two or three people put their hands up right away. It just happens. That's why, and otherwise we have the platform. Cool. And I've had some come up and next time one comes up, I'll, it'll, it'll go into the platform. Thank you. Great. And Jeff, I ask if you could please, while you're doing your research about the voices and the processes, to, to write up the processes. And Chloe is working on a website now called PM Processes that has, it's, she's up to letter P or something already. And she's been making available a on a platform where we can share with each other these processes that we've discovered that are so powerful for healing and transformation. And so it's all copy left stuff. So if you, there's a, even a form on there a uh, blank form that you can just download and copy and write into and then get them to Anne Chloe and she can put them up on the website. So it's just called PM Processes. And it's, but anyway, thanks for researching that, that stuff. Thank you. Anything from anybody else right now? I found that using my voice blaster, one of the one of the juicy parts that I didn't hear in this call yet is like about after the bang to like like be in the silence, like really hear it, like get that energetic kind of imprint. Yeah, thank you. 
it's a, I'll tell a little story. It was uh, Marion Lutz and Nicola Neumann Mangold and myself were in Canada a few years ago at a workshop, a week-long workshop in on um, theater. It was not theater of the absurd, but it's theater, it's theater, transformational theater workshop. And he was the, the, the space holder was doing a, a process and Marion was on the stage and uh, he had a character come up on the stage with Marion to represent her mother or anyway, the mother of, it was a mother daughter situation. And so the mother came up with these voices, these external voices and they were insane. I mean, they, they had this insanity kind of quality to them as, as you can imagine. And Marion knowing about the voice blaster, she just pulls out her voice blaster and goes bang. And the actor, you know, the woman who was role playing the mom fell down on the stage. And then it was quiet. And people were really amazed that it was, that it was possible to, to just end the conversation that way. Because, you know, it's not like you're really pulling out a gun and shooting your mother. It's these voices that you've been carrying around in your head all these years. And so, but the only person who could not handle it was the trainer of the theater procedure because he had a whole different idea or concept about how it should be. And so he, he basically said, you can't do that. You can't do that. And he went out like Frankenstein and he brought the dead mother back to life who was, who was this monster who then chased Marion all around the, the whole auditorium as a, because the monster was already dead. You know, it was Frankenstein. So he, she was shooting at it, bang, bang, and the thing wouldn't die. It turns into a whole high drama of low drama proportions. So, but it was a, it's a surprising, surprisingly effective thing. It just didn't work when the space holder wouldn't allow it to happen, so. I still like the guy anyway. Anything else from anybody else right now? I would, otherwise I would keep reading. All right. <clears throat> this next section on page 115 is childhood needs. So we're talking about child ego state. The child ego state includes both the free and natural child and the scared and needy adaptive child with considerations from the past. So I'd like to be clear here that there is a certain branch of psychology that has epitomized the free and natural child as an ideal state for a man or a woman and this has become painfully expensive for human beings, anybody who's in the human potential movement who has subscribed to the psychological interpretations of the inner child model and somehow bringing your, your free and natural child back to life so that they can run your life. This is very expensive. It's very, it's a, it's a huge, hugely costly, painful mistake, in my opinion, to, to do that. Because a, 
a, the child ego state is not capable of taking responsibility. And so by putting a quote unquote free and natural child in the driver's seat of your life, this will make such huge messes for you and so much pain and deception and betrayal and abuse. Because basically, if a woman, for example, or a man even, but if a woman plays out the role of a free and natural child, the only partner she's ever going to call in is going to be someone who wants to abuse her. And she will create for herself an abusive relationship by playing this innocent child. It's just so automatic and it's so painful and it costs years of people's lives. It has even cost people's lives to do that. I know a woman, it's a horrible story, but she was killed in, in Mallorca, a middle-aged woman who called in who played the innocent child and called in some abusive guy and she did not survive that. He did not either, he killed himself afterwards, but it was just horrible. So what to do instead is recognize there is a free and natural adult ego state. Adult ego state that does take responsibility that does negotiate, that does say what they want and what they don't want and, and negotiates that and creates that. And it's, it's far more creatively playful and expressive than anything a child could come up with because, because you, when you are the free and natural adult, you, you can make any mess you want and you can clean up the mess. You know, you can start your own church, you can build your own country, you can make your own game world, you can reinvent any game world that exists on a planet and reinvent it, change it to however you want. This is high level play. This is the kind of play that adults do. And so um, this confusion between the free and natural child and the free and natural adult should be cleared up immediately because um, these are internal maps, remember. It's an internal experiential maps that you have inside of you. So what I just described are two different, completely different domains, the free and natural child and the free and natural adult. And I mean, really the whole child thing, I don't know if I say it in here, but the whole child thing needs to go back where it belongs, which is in the past. And the free and natural adult can play full out and that the child is integrated into your adult so that it's healed and handled and over. And, and then whenever you want to be nostalgic, you can be nostalgic as a free and natural adult. Whenever you want to play in the mud or the sand or eat lollipops or dance in the rain, you can do it as a free and natural adult. So this whole concept of putting a child in your driver's seat, I mean, really, there was a guy who, who theoretically taught his eight-year-old daughter how to fly an airplane. And so he was, he was so excited about it. He said, well, you, why don't you be the first eight-year-old to fly single-handedly across the United States of America in an airplane? You know, and I'll drive the car around and you take off and land and we'll go in small airports. You know, and halfway across America, she crashed the airplane and died. All right. Okay. Whose mistake was that? You know, this is a, an innocent child getting killed by a machine that she could not be responsible for handling like that. So... 
Yes. The child ego state includes both free and natural and scared, needy, adapted child that originate with considerations from the past. And that's where these emotions come from. They come from that. Because it is childish, it communicates about being scared or needy and being adaptive so as to avoid encountering uncomfortable things that have already happened to you or to continue encountering warm, fuzzy experiences that are naively irrelevant. So this is the childish ego state. The first thing to recognize about the child ego state is that no matter how real the feelings seem now, they all originate in the past. Regardless, I mean, and I would say they also could originate in the future, meaning you imagine things could happen in the future. And so stuff from the past, stuff from the future does not come from the present. So regardless of how present the fear or how strong the neediness seems to feel, everything from the past is merely a memory. It is a memory or an imagination about the future. The adult knows that the present is the present, an always evolving new set of unpredictable possibilities to create with. The adult realizes that you have no power at all to change even the tiniest thing from your past. You cannot change what happened to you cannot. There's nothing that can be done to change the past or even to change the future, except, of course, to make really good plans and implement them. But we'll get to that. So you can prove for yourself right now that you have no power to change the past. Do this experiment. So this is a make it so that you did not just hear this sentence. Make it so that you did not just hear this sentence. Can you do it? No, why not? Because hearing the sentence occurred in the past. Even though you heard the sentence only a second ago, you cannot alter the fact that it already happened. You already heard it. You have no power in the past. The only place you have power to do anything is right now right now. Power is in the present. How much time and energy have you spent trying to make things different in your past? Really think about it. How much time and energy have you tried to change your past, fix the past, repair the past? You know, over and over and over you think about it. If I just did that, if they just did this, if only this didn't happen, if only I would have done this instead. All this stuff about the past where they have zero power. Trying to rehave a conversation in a better way. You know, wishing that you had made a different decision. Trying to find a solution to a problem that you had a long time ago. It is silly, actually that we try to change the past, but we do it. And what we get for our efforts 
is ordinary human relationship. We get ordinary human relationship out of that. When we were children, our parents were busy. Toward us, perhaps, they were being authoritarian or being anti-authoritarian or trying out some other parenting fad. The results were that some of our childhood needs were not met. Some of our childhood needs were not met. We sometimes can feel the void left from these unmet needs in our day-to-day -day life. Do you ever experience that? You have this like, I didn't get enough of this or that didn't happen enough. And you have this memory, you have this, you notice that your unmet needs from childhood were not met and you still feel that, okay? We experience an aching space in our being, deep, wide, unfulfilled. This aching emptiness comes from unfulfilled needs in the child ego state, from the childhood, from the past. And I've learned something since this also, <clears throat> that empty feeling is, how many can feel that? If you just sit there for a second, you can feel this void inside of you. This like vacuum, this kind of empty, dark, usually dark void, okay. What I've learned like a few years ago was that space of emptiness is a precious source of nothingness that we have inside of ourselves. You can use that nothingness inside of yourself as a creation source, as a source out of which you, in which you can create. So what is in that space? Could somebody answer? Not Vera. Somebody answer, what is in that space? Emotions, stories, emotions. Longing. It's an empty space. Nothingness. Right? Yeah, nothing is in there. Possibilities. Yeah, that's what so I want to so that's the thing. What's in there is nothing. What is possible then out of that? What's possible? Everything. Hey, so you have this as a resource inside of yourself and that it freaks a child out. You know, it's like a nightmare. You have this nightmare inside of yourself if you're a child, but as an adult, you go, holy simoleons, what a gift. I have a space of nothingness inside of me that I can invent and invent and create and try things and open and, and source new stuff. It's inside of me. I am a source of that. So this emptiness is not a mistake. I thought it was a mistake for a long time, for years. But it, I don't know, three, four years ago, I figured out, hey, this is really a treasure. This emptiness, that void, the void in there, you can breathe in there. You can just breathe in that place and just go, ah, yeah. And you have this space. Whenever you need something, you can call it out of that space. 
it's a fabulous resource. So that's a great experiment to try just to get it that as an adult, that space is precious. So sometimes before now, before this conversation, you probably have looked to your partner to fill the void. You know, if you just talk to me enough, if you just listen to me enough, if you just hugged me enough, if you just loved me enough, you know, you could fill this void. If you gave me enough attention, you know, you never give me enough attention. You know, the void is still there. Give me more attention. Okay, more. Give me, I need all your attention. I need all your attention enough for me. I need more. I need somebody who can give me even more attention than you. Anybody ever have this kind of thing going on? Trying to get people's attention and stuff to fill the void. Okay. See, but you know, it is not his or her job to fill the void. No amount of chocolate, chocolate chip ice cream can fill that void. We seek, you know, did you ever open a refrigerator? You're standing in front of the refrigerator and there's nothing in the refrigerator that can help. Okay, that's the void that you're talking about. That's the void looking in the refrigerator. There's nothing in there. You've tried it probably, I have anyway, I've tried it. You know, just take everything out of the refrigerator and eat as much as you can. It didn't, didn't help. Okay, so we seek for approval and acceptance and recognition and rewards and successes and honors, you know, trophies, glamorous attention to fill this hole and nothing works, nothing suffices. The emptiness remains. Well, there is some bad news and some good news about this aching emptiness. The bad news is this, your childhood needs, those unfulfilled childhood needs, they will never be fulfilled, ever. All that stuff that happened to you, all those things you didn't get, that you wanted, that you missed, that you think other kids got, you're never going to get those filled, ever. Your parents and teachers and brothers and sisters are never going to come to you and hug you and say, you did a great job. We love you totally. It is never going to happen. That is the bad news. And here's the good news about this aching emptiness inside. Here's the good news. Your childhood needs will never be fulfilled. You can finally stop waiting around with false expectations and hopefulness, faint hopes for something from the past to change. You can stop. It's over. The whole game is over. You can stop waiting around for something from the past to change. It's never going to happen. It's good news. It's over. You can get on about your adult life now. You can grow up. That whole story world of trying to focus on trying to fulfill all that is empty, it's over. You know, here's the thing. You can, take, you can take the pain that you have about that and put it in your hand. So take your pain about that 
put it in your hand, gather it up in your hands, take, close your eyes, kind of take your breath. And soak, soak all this sadness and grief and loneliness and loss and being left out, being ignored, not getting attention, like the whole thing or getting the wrong kind of attention. You take this, this, take that pain and you put it in your hands. And then at the count of three, after you get it all in there, just put it in there. And now, and now you, know, you know this, there's a thing about time. Time is going by and it goes tick, 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 tick. So hold all the pain in your left hand and show me with your right hand which way time goes. It's like a river in front of you. Show me which way it goes. Take your hand and show me which way it goes. I don't care which way you show, but do you know which way it goes? Okay, good. Hold your pain with both hands and that time is going by like a river in front of you. When you're ready, you take a deep breath and you say goodbye to the pain and you just let it out of your hands and let it drop into the river. Boosh. Kind of brush your hands off like this. It goes boosh. And then wait. Do that silent waiting. You wait for the silence and tick. Tick, tick, tick. It's already five seconds away. Tick, tick, tick. You let it keep going. Tick. You're letting it go into the past. Tick, tick. It's already 15 seconds away. Tick, tick, tick. You just keep letting it drift back into the past where it came from, where it is as a memory. You don't have to keep re-enlivening it here now in your life. You let it tick. You just keep ticking. Every time something comes up like that, you do the same thing. Put it in the ball from the past. Drop it in the river of time. In 15 seconds, it is nothing you can do about it. It will be in the past. Let that stuff go back in the past where it belongs. You cannot change it anyway, but... Most of us drag the pain. We recreate the pain over and over again, day in and day out, holding the pain. Well, you just put the pain in this ball and dropped it in the river of time, and it's gone tick, tick into the past, and it's going to stay there. You can't do anything about it. And you can feel now it's already two minutes in the past. It's way downstream. It's way out there. Pretty soon it'll be a day, and a day, two days, a week, way, way back there. There's nothing you can do to get that back. It's in the river of time. You dropped it in the river of time. And then please reach into your bag of things now with your right hand. You reach down into the little leather bag that's at your belt and pull out a golden pearl of your own energy and information. This is a concentrated golden pearl of your own energy and information. Hold it above your head. And then let go and let the pearl drop right down your spine, down to your center. It will hit your center and go poof, and it will fill up that part where the pain was. It will fill that part up with your own energy and information that happens now. Your own present energy and information. 
and it fills up the void. Do another one, okay? Reach in the bag again, pull out another golden pearl, hold it up over your head. When you're ready, you let go, <laughs> pops open, and it just fills up the place that the pain was occupying. Yeah, just like that, exactly like that. That's your own energy and your own information from present time that you can use that filled up the place that was occupied by this pain that you were holding about the past. So you took the pain out into a ball, you dropped it into the river of time, it went down into the river of time and you filled up the hole with your own energy and information from present time. This is the adult ego state. Thank you, Clinton. You're welcome. Wow. It is, it is time. We made it. Does anybody need to say anything before we click out? Ingrid's taking off. Bye, Ingrid. Anybody need to say anything? All right. Well, thank you for being here. Kay, were you going to say something? Just thank you. Welcome. Welcome. God, I just got to tell you, it's so great to, you know, when I was re writing the book, we, we couldn't do these processes because it's a book. You know, you can't, you just can understand them or know about them, but we can't really do them. So it's go, so great to go through this and do the, do this work. So thank you all for being here. And I hope you do your irresponsibility diary in your, in your beat book. And Mia, are you okay? Good, great, okay. All right, you guys, see you next week. Have a great week. Take care of yourselves. Be good to your gremlin because nobody else is. And have a good time, bye-bye. Thank you.